37, we've been talking about getting from your dream to God's purposes, to destiny. And last week we mentioned that there were 10 tests you must pass in order to get there. Probably more than that. But we're just going to spend time with 10 and uh, we're to lesson number two. Last week we talked about the restrained mouth test because Joseph couldn't keep his mouth shut. And uh, God had to refine that in him in order to get him to destiny. Well, now we're here to lesson two, and we're going to talk about the injustice test, the injustice test. Anyone here ever felt like you've had something unfair happen to you? Has, has life been perfectly fair to you? If so, you do the seminar, because I want to hear what you've done to get a perfectly fair life. But chances are there's not a person here that has had absolutely uh, perfect, fair uh, issues dealt to them. And so we, we need to deal with injustice because so it was with Joseph as well. So here in Genesis 37, why don't I read this passage real quick? And most of us know it, but just listen as I read. It says, Then his brothers went to feed their father's flock in Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers feeding the flock in Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. So he said to him, here am I. Then he said to him, please go and see if it's well with your brothers and well with the flocks and bring back word to me. I'm, I'm sure that was going to thrill the brothers anyway, that dad was sending the youngest out to check on them. So he sent him out to the valley of Hebron and he went to Shechem. Now a certain man found him and there he was wandering in the field. Joseph probably didn't understand what a straight line was. He was wandering around in a field, and the man asked him, saying, what are you seeking? So he said, I'm seeking my brothers. Please tell me where they are feeding their flocks. And the man said, they have departed from here, for I heard them say, let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after, Joseph went after his brothers and found them in Dothan. Now, when they saw him afar off, even before he came near them, they conspired against him to kill him. Then they said to one another, look, this dreamer is coming. Come, therefore, let us now kill him and cast him into some pit, and we shall say some wild beast has devoured him. We shall see what will become of his dreams. But Reuben heard it, and he delivered him out of their hands and said, Let us not kill him. And Reuben said to them, Shed no blood, but cast him into this pit which is in the wilderness, and do not lay a hand on him, that he might deliver him out of their hands and bring him back to his father. So it came to pass, when Joseph had come to his brothers, that they stripped Joseph of his tunic, the tunic or the coat of many colors that was on him. When they took him and cast him into a pit, and the pit was empty, there was no water in it. And we'll stop there tonight, and we'll talk about the injustice test. Um, the purpose of this particular lesson is not so much designed to somehow justify the injustice that happened to you. Because truth of the matter is, we all face things that are wrong. And it doesn't matter how you slice it, it was wrong. It was unfair, it wasn't right, it was unjust. It shouldn't have happened to you. And uh, there's no way to somehow try to uh, sugarcoat it to make it seem better than it was. The purpose of this lesson, though, is to lift your eyes beyond the injustice to see what it is that God might like to accomplish in your life. Because how many of you know that Joseph faced an injustice when his brothers threw him in a pit, but God had a greater design than the pit. 
And, I, and, and the thing about the story of Joseph that somehow gets by us and we need to be reminded of is this, that when he went in the pit, he had no idea at that time what the end of the story was going to be. You realize that. All he saw was this pit. Now, the reason we can read the story and we're looking at Joseph and saying, hang on, dude, it's because we've read a few chapters on and we know how the story ends. And sometimes I don't think this story is as powerful as it needs to be because we know the end of the story. We know that Joseph gets to ultimately where he's supposed to be. He gets to his destiny. And uh, so it all ends well. But you've got to remember that the moment he goes in the pit, he hasn't read the next few chapters yet. He doesn't know what God's up to. All he sees is this injustice. And, and the point I'm trying to make is that you may be even now in the midst of an unjust unfair situation and it's difficult to see beyond the pit that you're in at this moment it's wrong we'll just agree we'll all agree together you've been done wrong don't you feel better now no you don't feel any better even though everybody agrees with you you've been done wrong but we've got to begin to lift our eyes to begin to see that god may be doing more in this unjust moment than we initially have thought. And so let's talk about this tonight because I have to remind myself at times that God's doing things that I can't see and uh, he's using things that I don't really think he could use. So let me give you some initial things to be reminded of concerning God's ways. This one will really make you shout. God is not fair. Oh, don't you feel good with that one too? God is not fair and equitable with his people. Now I'm going to prove it to you. I mean, I know we quote the verse, he is no respecter of persons, and that is true. He is no respecter of persons. He'll nail your hide to the wall as quickly as he did your neighbors. I mean, now I know we all put that with regards to the blessing most of the time, but the Bible never says that God's fair. It says that he's just. And there's an important distinction that needs to be made there. Fair means everybody gets equal treatment. And I don't know about you, but I've looked around, and even in his church and with his people. Not everybody gets equal treatment. And, and so you've got you've to begin to wrestle with this concept that God is not fair. We can go through the, the, the scripture. You know when he gets to the parable of the talents and the minus, he gives people different amounts of things. He gave one ten, one five, and one one. That's not fair. Whatever if you have given me ten talents, I could have done that. You only gave me one. Are you following me? That's not fair. I can begin to look around uh, the church. You can too. You can see people that have talents and have skills and have gifts that aren't like yours or they're different than yours or they're more visible than yours or they have more influence than you. And I don't know about you, but you can look at it and say, that doesn't seem fair. I want that. That's what I want. I'm putting my order in for that. And you know, God doesn't do that, does he? The parable here in Matthew chapter 20 you ought to make a notation of that. It's, it's really one of my, it's hard to say it's a, a favorite parable, but it's an important one because this is the one where he hires different people in the fields. And most of us know the story. I, I, I'm not going to read to you the whole parable here, but he, he hires people in the morning and he promises them a wage and he hires some in the afternoon and he promises them a wage and he hires some in the evening and he promises them a wage. And when it all shakes out, they all get paid the same thing. And it says in verse 11 that when this happened, those that worked the longest at the beginning of the day, 
They received it, but they complained against the landowners, saying, These last men have worked only one hour, and you made them equal to us, who have borne the burden in the heat of the day. Now, you can read this and be spiritual, but I have read this on numerous occasions, and I have said, Yeah, because that's happened to me. I mean, how come they win the lottery? God. How come, how come they got the deal? How come, how come I was the 999th person through the turnstile and not the 1000th that got, you know, the Dr. Pepper million dollar deal? That's not fair. But he said in verse 13, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what is yours and go your way. I wish to give this last man the same as you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with my own things? Or is your eye evil because I am good? Wow. Now, is, let, me, let, me, let me really make this practical. Some of you have served God for decades. Why is it that the dude that got saved last week gets blessed? Well, that ain't fair, is it? I've been serving God for decades. That ain't fair. Why, did, why, why does the person who just stumbles into the kingdom, why does he get good things? Why is the one that, that uh, you know, he was, he's just been called 30 days, never went to Bible college, never did any work in a church, never did any, and, and, and somehow God opens the door for him. That just isn't real fair, God. Well, you've got you've to get it in your system right now. God is not fair. Hallelujah. I know that's not stuff when we want to hear, but you got to get a hold. And I'm going to tell you this much. There are things that God has done for you that he's done for no one else, and you weren't complaining about fair then. You weren't saying, no, 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 Lord. I can't take this blessing unless you give it to everybody. I never have heard anybody say that. All right. Bad things will happen to righteous people. Being a believer is not automatic immunization from bad things. But you've got to realize that when bad things come, Romans 8.28 says, and this is what it literally says in the original language, because it's oftentimes not translated as well as it could be, but that God causes all things to work together for good. Now, it didn't say that God causes all things, because we know that sometimes we cause things, and sometimes the enemy causes things. But the Bible says that God causes all things to work together for good. To those two requirements, to those who love him and are called according to a purpose. Now, if you love the Lord and you know you're called according to a purpose, then you see there's the moment that that we can begin to rest in God, that despite the injustice, God can cause even an injustice to work for my good, believe it or not. In fact, I put down here, I want you to always remember the concept because people will ask you, "Why why do bad things happen to good people? And I always look, and when someone asks me that, and I say, that is not a biblical question. Because the Bible says there is none good, no, not one. So the question is, why do bad things happen to good people? Well, who? Who? Who's really good? The Bible says there's none good, no, not one. See, the question is, why do good things happen to any of us? That's a better question. And James 1.17 says that every good and perfect gift comes from the father, of, father above. In him there is no variation or shadow of turning. So here's the part. We get focused on all the injustice that's going on, but, but the Bible tells us this. The Bible tells us, hey, you're still breathing. Praise God. That's good. You ate today. 
See, we think that's somehow a right. Let me, let me introduce to you to two-thirds of the world who doesn't go to bed eating. They fast because they have to, not because they want to. Are you following me? Why don't we ever consternate over all the good things that are going in my life? I've never heard anybody get a promotion and say, I wonder why that happened. It doesn't seem right. I don't get it. It's not there. The reason is that we have come, that is the arrogance of the human heart. That is the presumption of man, where we just assume it has to work out good. And the Bible says, listen, listen, Written over you is death and hell. And any good thing that comes into your life, you ought to kick your heels and say hallelujah. Because bad things happen to people and even righteous people. Now the question is, will you wallow in the pit of injustice or will you pass the test? Have you ever considered the long list of injustices that have happened to people in the Bible? I don't know about you, you just go through the Bible real quick, and I mean, you can begin to add up injustices. I mean, uh, I mean just you, you look at people and their challenges, and, and it's not fair that the Jewish people went into captivity. I know we all say, well, they were in rebellion, and they didn't worship God. Well, you know, half the time we're in rebellion. I mean, injustices happen. Have you considered the injustices, great people? And Christians have experienced throughout history and even today. I I couldn't even begin to tell you the stories of the early church and them having to worship in the catacombs and going into the Colosseum and being wrapped in, in lion skins and thrown to animals, being ripped in half, Nero impaling them on stakes and putting them in his garden and lighting Christians on fire so he could walk through his gardens with light. I mean, I, I could go through the stories. That's not fair. It's not fair. It's unjust. Why do you think if God has called you, though, to something meaningful in him, that there would not be, though, adversity and injustice? So let me give you some reasons you might find yourself in a pit. I'm going to go through this quickly. Number one is a reminder that it's a part of life. It's a part of life. In John's gospel, these are the words of Jesus. I told you this Sunday I got a new Bible, didn't I? And my pages, I hate it. They're all sticking together. I can't one-hand it anymore. Got to lick the pages. And John sixteen thirty three. These things I've spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will, doesn't say may, you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. So, so some things we have very little control over. It just happens. Don't always try to find a reason or a place to lay blame. Injustice happens. People are vindictive by nature. You can be living right, doing right. Everything can be right, and you can run into somebody who's just plain nasty. And that nasty manifests, and you're in their way. And it's just it's a part of life. Secondly, adversity and, and injustice comes because some things we create ourselves. The truth is that Joseph shared in some of the responsibility of this event. Now, I realize nobody deserved to be thrown into a pit, to be sold into slavery. The, the, the consequence was greater than his crime. I get it. But the truth of the matter, it wouldn't even have been a consideration if Joseph wasn't running around going, if he wasn't always running his mouth, if this, this would not have happened. Do you understand? If he would have passed the first test, he wouldn't have seen the second test. Yeah. 
That's revelation right there, isn't it? Maybe, maybe passing a test or two will opt you out of a few other tests. Number three, we also need to realize that Satan has a strategy he implements as well. Uh, I, I wish I could tell you the devil was dead, but he's not. And uh, his assignment is to thwart, hinder, and stop the people of God any way he can. In 2 Corinthians twelve seven, again, Paul said, Unless I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of revelation, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I'd rather boast in my infirmity than that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmity and in reproach in need and persecution in distress for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So, so Satan has a strategy as well. And these are reasons adversity comes. Now, what is the ultimate purpose of the pit? Let's talk about this now. Let's try to bring some purpose out of the injustice. I believe that when we're in an unfair, unjust situation, number one, uh, it is to get us to cry out to God for help. We tend to be rather self-sufficient most of the time. We tend to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps, turn over a new leaf. But injustice pulls the... And I'm not talking about the the gift of the Spirit. You know, there's a gift of the Spirit, or excuse me, a fruit of the Spirit that's called self-control. Now, that that means that that you have, have a restraint in you from God that keeps you from just going crazy. So that's good. But but the self-control I'm talking about is that we want to control everything. Self. I want myself to control everything. And injustice pulls that out of us because when you're in an unfair, unjust situation, is it not true, you're usually out of control. And what happens is, is that moment makes you trust God. I mean, do you understand that, that loving God, walking with God, serving God, it's not just theory. This is real life stuff. And we have the choice to utter complaint prayers. Oh, God, I'm in this mess. I'm in a pit. Look what everybody's done to me. Or you can yield in humility to what is taking place and say, Lord, this is out of my hands. I can complain and gripe and whine and, and rail and, and, and cuss and swear. And, and, you know, I can do all these. And it isn't going to change one iota. Ask yourself what Jesus did when he faced the greatest injustice in human history. He just kept his mouth shut, didn't he? And yet God, is it not true? God had greater purposes. As great as the cross is, God had even greater purposes in a resurrection. Keep that in mind. Number two, the purpose of injustice is to position us for God's unusual orchestration of his plan. God does not move in conventional ways. I wish I could tell you that the Lord moved the way the world works, but God does not move in conventional ways. And the reason he does this is that we may see his hand at work and not ours. Is it not true, because we know the end of the story, but is that not in Joseph's life the most unconventional way to get him into the palace of Egypt? That's pretty unconventional, right? I mean, this would not be what Joseph had mapped out for his life. 
When, when Joseph got that dream and that vision, I am sure he was thinking of what school am I going to go to? Where can I get my training for leadership in Egypt? Uh, wh- who do I network with? Where do I send my resumes? God, I know you're going to use all this. In fact, we'll even pray. Lord, bless, bless this resume, I pray. I mean, I mean you understand, that w- that's our mind. But God orchestrates this unusual deal in order that when he gets to the end, he sees that's God, not him. In fact, Joseph would later say what, as he's looking at his brothers, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. And while difficult to see, injustice can be the interstate to God's purposes in your life. Have you ever thought about that? But you see, we opt out because we'd rather have the comfort of being right than God's will and working through the injustice. Number three, sometimes the purpose of the pit is to break our presumption. Presumption is to take for granted or to undertake a thing without permission or right or to go too far in taking a liberty. Joseph was full of arrogance to speak so consistently in the ways that he did. And God took him to a pit and injustice in order to break his presumption. You know, obviously his dad, his dad let him oversee his brothers. I don't know that his dad was probably much better in all of that, but, but it was broken. And sometimes God uses that in order to break us. Now there's two keys and, and we'll be able to end in good shape tonight, but there's two keys to passing the test, the injustice test. Number one is you need to fight the lies that are told to you in this situation. I just started thinking about Joseph being in the bottom of this pit and all the things that were going on. And I know he, he earned it in some ways, but in other ways we know that, as I mentioned, the, the, the consequence didn't fit the crime. But whenever you're in an unjust or unfair situation, I found this to be true, just speaking from experience, it seems like the enemy is there to begin to speak lies into your ear. And, you know, the Bible says that he's the accuser of the brethren. Now hear me, I already told you that when this injustice takes place, it is wrong, it's not right, you didn't deserve it, it just happened. But yet the enemy's there oftentimes whispering in your ear saying, well, you know, you really did deserve this. And do you not think that as Joseph is in that, that there wasn't an evil spirit of hopelessness that wouldn't have overshadowed him and saying to him, you'll never get out of here, you're never going to get out of here. And, of course, then when he gets out, he gets to go with a band of Midianites as a slave. I mean, that's not such a great deal either. And so the enemies there just just whispering lies to you. In fact, they'll even fabricate evidence. I started thinking about how they took the coat. Remember what the brothers did with the coat? And they cut it all up, and they poured some blood on it, and they took it to their dad, and they fabricated even this false evidence in order to, to perpetuate the injustice and the unfairness. And so you need to understand all these things can happen, but listen to me, God is bigger than all of that. If you, if you begin to believe what is a lie, you could stay in the pit forever. If you begin to hear the lies of hopelessness and you begin to go, yeah, you're right, it is hopeless. Yeah, you're right, it, it'll never get any better, I deserve this, I'll never get out, what they say is true. It, and when you, if you get there and it can happen, you will stay in that pit forever. And so you've got to fight the lies. How do you fight, how do you fight lies? Come on, you all know. How do you fight a thought? With the word. You don't fight a thought with a thought, do you? Come on, you know this. You've got to begin to speak what God has said. What has God said? 
What has God spoken? What does he say about this? What is his word? What does the scripture say? And you've got to speak those things. In fact, you speak those things that be not as though they... So you may not be out of the pit. You may be serving in Potiphar's house. You may find yourself in a prison. People have neglected you. But you've got to speak those things that be not as though they were. And I just put down here, I was thinking about it at the time, to know the difference between accusation and conviction. This is always important because when, whenever we talk about this area, I feel like it's important because most people have not filtered through this. Accusation is, is what I would call bad guilt. Condemnation is bad guilt. Conviction is good guilt. Don't, don't think, because this, is, this has been the perennial charismatic problem. They feel guilty, and automatically they usually label it condemnation. If God's convicting you on something, good. And that will be good guilt. Good guilt is the Holy Spirit challenging you to make changes in your life that will bring reward. Now, condemnation or false accusation is when you're getting beat on something that's already under the blood. But, but that's, that's the question you've got to ask yourself. Is this under the blood or have, or have I dodged the cross and I'm, and I'm trying to just, you know, self-justify or whatever the case may be. So, so when, when you're starting to feel the guilties, I always, I always have to analyze it. Do I have a reason to feel guilty? And if it's conviction, then the answer is yes. And, and, and if you'll just respond in obedience, that will go away. Accusation or condemnation is when the enemy's trying to beat you up over something that has long ago uh, been forgiven and under the blood. So you got to fight those lies. Number two, keys to passing the test is you got to keep your confession and meditation on what God has said. Confession and meditation on what God has said. You got to speak what God's word says and you got meditate li- literally means uh, when we were when we did that series some time ago on the imagination. I don't know if y'all remember that when I was teaching on the imagination. And I ran across this when I was studying it, that the Hebrew word for meditation, one of, one of the words, if you followed its etymology, meant to imagine. And meditating literally means that when you, when you read the word and you see something in the word, you have to begin to imagine how that will come to pass. You've got to imagine that that's real. You've got to imagine the truth of that. That's what to meditate means. It means to begin to imagine and when you're in an unfair, unjust situation, you got to keep your confession and your meditation on what God has said. And, you know, truth of the matter is, is that he delivered Joseph out of that. And somehow, some way, he will bring you out of it. You know, God is the God of restoration and resurrection. Amen. Jesus faced injustice, but there was a resurrection. And, and God majors in that. He loves This is difficult, but he loves when people look like they're almost down and out because that's the moment he can sweep in and raise them up. And and God wants to do these things. And if we'll just pass the test and if we'll practice his ways, if we'll do what he he asks of us to do, you know, we, we would begin to see God do some amazing, miraculous things in our life. Amen. Stand with me. I'm going to cut you loose. I did good tonight. I didn't. I didn't get full of the word and just keep you here all night. So we're in good shape. Amen. How many of you tonight just would say, I'm not, I'm not trying to generate something in your life that's over, done, long gone. But you just say tonight, you know what? 
Pastor, God's speaking to me here. I've been I've been wrestling with some in un, is it unjust? Injust. I know it's unjust, but then it's an unjust situation, an unjust situation. See what the English language they mess us up. See, I, I use verbs wrong, and you know you, you can go to all kinds of school and still still talk wrong, man. I prove it every Sunday. I know my wife's going. I know, I know, I know you do. I know, I know. Praise God, you love me despite my bad grammar, my Midwest grammar. All right, whether it's unjust, unjust, it you, it wasn't right. And you're saying right now, man, Pastor, I need, I need God to sweep in and, and, and just pull, put some life in me to assist me to get my eyes back on him. Come on, just, just say it. Just be honest enough to say that's, that's where I am. Just wave at me. Wave at me. I got a few people waving at me. All right, wave at me. Yeah, Merle, wave at me. God wants to see that. All right, I'm going to pray for you right now. Father, I ask right now that by your spirit you would breathe, especially on these that, Lord, have just said, there's an injustice, an unfair situation. I don't know whether it's recent or perhaps it's been of some time and it's just been lingering. But, Lord, I pray now that your spirit would begin to just put life in people, cause their eyes to be lifted once again under the hills. Your word says to lift our eyes to the hills from what's come with our help. And, and Lord, we want to see you in this situation. We want to we want to understand. Sometimes we don't get it and understand and, and and we'll live with that, Lord, but we need a sense of your presence and your affirmation. That really helps. And so I pray, Lord, that you would do that and assist these people to be steady in an adverse time. I pray, Lord, that they could begin to see that you may be using the very thing they're in the midst of in order to position them for their future. It doesn't seem like it could happen. It seems like exactly the opposite of how it could even come to pass. But you are the God who can, who can take things that are going one way and suddenly turn them and open palace doors. And Lord, I believe that will be the case for many of these, Lord, as they pass these tests. I believe you're calling a people of destiny. So Lord, let a spirit of encouragement come. Let them be built up tonight. Let their trust in you just, just topple the meter. Get it into the red zone, Lord, where, where it's just, it's just full, full fire, full flame. They're, they're trusting you and what's going on in their life. And, Lord, we're going to do our best to be obedient every step of the way. We just can't sit back and hope and think. But, Lord, you're calling us to obey you in the midst of adverse situations. So, Lord, we just commit our lives to that end again. We appreciate that you have always been faithful and true. Lord, bless your people. Keep them safe as we all go our separate ways tonight. We love you a lot. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Yeah, give the Lord a hand clap when you're in the pit. And uh, you're going to have a great week. God's going to do some great things. God bless you. You're released.